Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. Okay, so this morning as we get started, um, I'm going to need you to humor me for a second, okay? So just play along. So what I need you to do first is close your eyes. And if you're kind of like me and you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine too. But here's the thing. I need you to imagine something, and it might be a little bit hard for you to imagine. So if you need help imagining it, just close your eyes and walk with me through this, okay? You walk into your house, and when you get into your house, there's someone in the kitchen, and it's the person that you would expect to be there, your spouse, your child, your parent, your roommate, sibling, I don't care what it is. But that person looks at you and says, hey, did you remember to pick up the stuff from the store? And you say, what stuff from the store? Hey, you're already there. And you say, what do you mean the stuff from the store? Well, the stuff that I sent you the message about a few days ago. What do you mean the stuff you sent me a message about a few days ago? I sent you the message that said, if you go to the store, can you pick this stuff up? So did you pick it up? Well, no, I didn't pick it up because I didn't go to the store. Wait, why didn't you go to the store? You said you're going to the store. No, I said I might go to the store. Wait, so you didn't pick any of the stuff up? No, I didn't pick this stuff up. Well, then why didn't you call me so I could have picked this stuff up? Because I never told you I was going to go and pick this stuff up. All right, go ahead, open your eyes. I know, it was super hard to imagine because it's never happened, right? You guys are like, man, that's foreign. You must have a bad marriage, Josh. Why are we all laughing? Here's why. Switch seats. Now you're the counselor, okay? You hear this conversation, and you think in your mind, as the counselor, this couple is experiencing a what type of problem? Yeah, normal. Good point. (laughs) There has been a breakdown in, and we all know. We all know the exact same answer. So I don't have to stand up here this morning and say, hey, communication is important in every relationship. I will give you some stats to prove it. Because you don't even have to close your eyes. You're like, oh, 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 I know that one. Communication is foundational for every single relationship we have to the point that even your relationship with your dog needs communication. Okay? So I don't need to stand here and tell you, hey, communication is really important. And one of the things that we also know is one of the most important things in communication is clarity. You need to understand what I'm saying, and I need to understand what you're saying for us to be able to communicate well. And no one questions that at all. But what we have to realize is that God who created us understands that because he created us. And so sometimes what he understands is that we really need some help in our communication and in clarity. And in this series, in the book of Mark, we've been asking the question as we go through this, what is it that Jesus calls of us? What does Jesus require of us as his followers? And this morning, 
We get an incredible gift because we get a whole bunch of communication and clarity on just that. Jesus is really clear of what he calls us to as his followers as he speaks to his disciples. And in this passage, we get kind of a little extra dose or an extra gift because we get the same story in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and Mark chapter 10. And when I went to school to study the Bible, they told me some things. And one of the important things that they said, so you you guys are getting this for free, and it wasn't free, so enjoy this nugget. If something is repeated, it's usually important. And if something's important, it's usually repeated. If something is important, it's usually repeated. And if something is repeated, it's important. And so now we come to this, and we get Mark chapters 8, 9, and 10, where Jesus tells almost the same story three different times, because he knows he has to be extremely clear with us. So before we get into it, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you for knowing us so well, for being the one that created us, Lord, so that you can communicate with us in ways that we actually get to understand. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room, and I ask that, Lord, whether they're online or in this room with us, that you would use these words from your Bible, from your word, Lord, to to penetrate their hearts. Lord, I ask that it would make a difference in people's lives, that you would use me to be a part of that, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and just use your words in me, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the people here, and I thank you for this opportunity. Amen. So here's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Mark 8, 9, and 10. It's essentially, it's the same layout that gets repeated three different times. And what it is, is Jesus gets with his disciples and he tells his disciples, hey guys, here's what's about to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mistreated. And then I'm going to be handed over to the rulers and they're going to kill me. And in three days after they kill me, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then after Jesus tells the disciples this, the disciples then respond. And then after their response, Jesus kind of uses the response as a teachable moment, and he has something to say to his followers after the disciples' response. In three consecutive times, we get this exact same layout. So what we're going to do this morning is not so much focus in on what Jesus is telling them is coming, but the response of the disciples, and then the teaching moment that Jesus gives us after that. So here we go. The first one is in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And it says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples. So that's, that's what Jesus is going to say three different times, a little bit different description, a little bit different information, but he's telling them this is what's coming, and he does it three different times. Here's the first response we get. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Hold on. Some of your passages or some of your translations would say Peter pulled him aside and began to rebuke him. I didn't read it wrong. Peter takes Jesus, yep, you heard it, Peter takes Jesus and begins to rebuke him. Jesus, no, 
This is not what's going to happen. Here's the response. Don't worry, this is the most confrontational one. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Yikes. Can you imagine being Peter in that, site, in that situation? So we got to ask the question, what is going on here that causes Peter to go this rogue? Like, what is taking place that Peter's there? And it's not laid out clearly for us in Scripture, but I think it's pretty easy, or pretty safe, I should say, to assume this. The reason why Peter's so fired up, the reason why this hits so hard, is because of what's going on inside of Peter's mind. Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, no, you're not. No, you are not. Because just a few verses ago, you asked us, Jesus, you looked at us as disciples and you said, who do you say I am? And I told you, you are the Messiah. And you said, you're right. And for generations and generations and generations, my people have been waiting for you, Messiah. We've been waiting for more than our whole lives. We've been waiting for our whole lineage for you. And we know who you're supposed to be. You're the Messiah. And Messiahs don't come and die. What Messiahs do is they come and they liberate their people that have been oppressed and mistreated for generations and generations. You're the one that's supposed to make things right. You're supposed to finally put us in authority over those that oppress us. You're supposed to flip the script and finally give us what we've deserved for so many years. You don't come and die because ruling kings aren't dead. They're ruling, and you're going to rule, and we get to be a part of it, Jesus. That's not how this story plays out, and I've heard for generations and generations, I know in my head exactly what's supposed to come, and this isn't it. So he pulls Jesus aside, and he says, no. And then Jesus just levels him. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the ways of God, you have the ways of man. And that's just the first one. Guys, ready to go to Mark chapter 9? This one's not as bad, don't worry. Jesus tells them again, hey, here's what's coming. And it says the disciples didn't understand and they were silent. Now, there's two reasons I think why they're silent in this situation. One is given to us in Scripture, the other one is this. What happened last time? <laughs> Jesus made the claim. Peter responded. Jesus called him Satan. If you're a disciple, you're not like, ooh, I know the answer. <laughs> Silence. But it says they were silent because they didn't understand. And here's the other reason. Jesus asked them. This is in 33, 933. Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Come on, guys. <laughs> right? Like Jesus in this situation has got to be like, you've got to be kidding me. But the disciples know. That's why they're, they're, they're silent. They know that Jesus knows. 
Jesus literally came to him and said, hey, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And then they were like, I think I'm the greatest. Hey, guys, check this out. Hypothetically speaking, I'm better than you. Let me show you why. Peter's like, I walked on water. And they're like, he just called you Satan. But they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And then the third one, Mark chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus has told them again, this is what is coming. And then it says this, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Some translations read, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. At this point, I feel like you get special Jesus points. Because the only person in the world who could ever have enough patience to continue on in this situation and keep having the conversation has got to be Jesus. Because I don't know how he's not like, that's it, I'm done. Three times I've told you this, and these are the responses I get. Hey God, can I get a new 12? I feel like... At least for me, with my impatience, if I were the rabbi in that situation, I would have been like, all right, I teach things, then you guys do it. New rule, no talking. Just don't speak. That's your new job. But it says this. Jesus responded, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Jesus literally tells him, hey, here's what's coming. I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And then they go, hey, Jesus, can you uh, make sure we get some recognition for what we've been doing? Jesus, help out, help out my reputation a little bit, okay? Don't let all the things I've done go unnoticed, you know what I mean? Make sure I get some credit for all the stuff that I've done, all right, Jesus? And then there's just a cherry on top that gets added in. It says, But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you were asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And here we go. They respond, Oh, yes, we are able. <laughs> Come on. Truthfully, it makes me feel a lot better because there's times in my life where I look at what I've done and I'm like, Wow, that's embarrassing. I did that again. Again, I messed up like that. And I look at the disciples and I'm like, well, at least I'm in good company. Then Jesus responds, you will indeed drink from the bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. He's speaking to the future and they don't know it. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So there we go. Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. Jesus tells them what's happening. Disciples respond. Never do they get a passing grade on the response. But they respond. And then here's what we're really going to focus in on this morning. After their response, Jesus then responds to them. And this is where we start to get that clarity that I was talking about in communication of here's what I'm going to ask of you if you are a follower of mine. Here's the expectation. Mark chapter 8. Remember, this is Peter has just rebuked Jesus. And then it says in verse 34, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, 
if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Some of your translations say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But Jesus makes it so absolutely clear. Hey, Peter, I know what's in your head. I know your expectations, Peter. I know the plan that you had. I know how much that meant to you, Peter. I know that your whole life you've been seeking after this, that you would probably say, Peter, this is literally the most important thing in your entire life. You've dreamed of this for years, Peter. You've been told these stories since you were a kid, Peter. I know all too well that you have an idea of all the things you've hoped for and all the things you've dreamed of and all the things that you thought were coming. But Peter, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. I didn't come to give you your kingdom, Peter. I came to bring mine. It's not about your plan and your desire, Peter, because that's not what I'm here for. And then he says, take up your cross. And for those people at that time, there would have been such clarity in that comment because the killing tool of the time that Jesus was crucified on the cross was not just used for Jesus. That was the tool that there was, it was their go-to. So as soon as he says, take up your cross, they know instantly exactly what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you've got to die to your old ways. The old selfish desires of you put yourself first, you get what you want, you take care of yourself, it's got to die. And then you've got to follow me. And this one's pretty easy because if you're following someone, you're either following or you're not. If they're walking, you're walking. If they turn, you turn. If they jump, you jump. If they turn and you don't turn, you're not following. Jesus makes it pretty clear. If you're going to follow me, you've got to do it my way. And do it like I've done it. Then in chapter 9, we move on. Verse 35, Jesus is responding. Remember, this is when the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And in verse 35, it says, He sat down, called the 12 disciples over, and said, and this is important because what we don't understand because we're not in a rabbi culture is that when a rabbi was going to teach, when he was going to give something significant, he would call his people around and then he would sit. And when he sat, that was kind of the indication of, hey, this is no longer just a conversation. This isn't just a quick chat. This is something significant and important. And so it says he called them together, and then he sat down, and, it's, and he said this, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Guys, you want to know who's going to be the greatest? You want to know the answer to your argument that you're having with each other about who's the greatest? I'll tell you who's the greatest. The one who puts himself on last and chooses to be a servant of everyone else. And we need to understand this in our culture because in our culture, we love the idea of serving. But Jesus doesn't say serve others. He says be a servant. And you want to know the difference? Serving is what we do on our time when it fits our schedule, when it's convenient for us, when we agree with the principles or we agree with the idea of what's taking place. 
Serving is when we go out and we decide to help the homeless or we plant trees or we do a neighborhood cleanup. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying any of those are bad things. But what I'm saying is when we're serving, it's when it fits our schedule and it's what we want to do and be a part of. But when you're a servant, that's who you are. That's the role that you assume in all of your situations and all of your relationships. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, serve sometimes. He says, you got to be last and you got to be a servant. And then to double down and make it even more clear for him, it says this, then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me not only welcomes me, but also the Father who sent me. And this is another one we don't understand in Western culture because a child for us is such a prized, incredible gift and of so much value. For them, that's not at all the case. The truth is, of life back then, the child mortality rate was so incredibly high that most families didn't really even consider the child part of the family or start investing or start taking them in until they were like five or six years old. So when Jesus grabs this kid, it's essentially grabbing something that really has, like, very little value. For us in our day, it'd be like picking up a cat. (laughs) I know, you're mad at me. But Jesus takes this kid and he goes, I know you guys think that this kid has no value. This kid's of no importance. But here's what I'm telling you. If you're going to follow me, you have to be a servant even to them. Even to this little one, you have to be a servant. If you're going to follow me, you have to be a servant of all. And then we move on to Mark chapter 10. And this is after James and John say, give us the glory. And then it says, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Which, I mean, of course, why wouldn't they be? So Jesus called them together and said... You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you guys want a reward? You want to be in authority? You want to be in a special position? Here's what that's going to look like. Use that to be a servant of all. You want to be first, you got to be last. So what are the implications of this? What do we learn from what Jesus is teaching us, if he's given it to us three times, it's obviously important. What are the important things that we're supposed to be getting from this? I think the first one is this. If you are following Jesus so you can get your way, you're doing it wrong. If you think about the life that you want and the job that you want and the salary that you want and the house that you want and the kids that you want and the spouse that you want and and it's all about the dreams that you have and what's supposed to be coming to you and what Jesus' role is is to be the one that gives you your way. You missed it. 
And even if it's a deep conviction like Peter has where he goes, no, this has to be it. I've expected this forever. If it's your way, you missed it. And if you're following Jesus like the ones in the middle, all the disciples here are going, I want to be the greatest. If it's about your reward, what can I get from this? What do I benefit from this? How can I reap good things for me from this? You missed it. And if it's about your honor like James and John, if it's about getting authority, if it's about upping your reputation, if it's about how people see you, You missed it. And I think the point that Jesus is so clearly making here is if you are trying to follow me for anything other than just following me to get me, you missed it. And so the question that poses is why is this so significant? Why does that matter so much? And if we go back to Mark chapter 8, I think we find the answer. Because in 8, 36 and 37, it says this. Jesus says to the disciples, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples trying to be so incredibly clear because of this. Disciples, You can choose to do life your way. To go after your reward, your honor, your plan, all those different things. But really what that is, is just the ways of the world. All you're asking for is the ways of the world. And if you pursue the ways of the world, do you know what hangs in the balance? Your soul. Because here's what we've learned and here's what we know and here's what we know because God created us. You can have everything that the world has to offer and you still will still not be content. No matter how much money, stuff, things, honor, celebrity, whatever, you will not be fulfilled. And disciple, you can chase all of those things. You can spend your whole life going after your reward, your honor, and your plan. But you're never going to be fulfilled. And I think Jesus is looking at that going, disciples, don't waste your life. I have no desire for you to get to the end of life and go, it just never measured up. I never felt like I made a difference. I never felt like it was enough. I felt like I was just running and running and running and never arriving. And Jesus is going, don't do it that way. And I think for some of us, if we're going to be brutally honest, we have to ask the question, is that even realistic? Have we not seen enough examples that it doesn't work that way? Do we really think that going to work, working as hard as you can, stressing out over deadlines and projects and people and all these different things, working as much as you can to get that next raise or that next promotion so you can come home all stressed out to be the person that God never called you to be with the most important people in your life so that you can have a drink or two to be able to slow down enough to relax and actually fall asleep in order to get some rest, wake up in the morning, down some coffee so you can have enough energy to get through the next day and then hit repeat just to get a huge stack of money. Do we really look at that and go, huh, that'll end in fulfillment? 
And Jesus is going, you can do it. You can have everything the world's going to offer you. Get as many toys as you want, go on all the vacations you want, but guess what? It's never going to fulfill your soul. It's never going to be enough. You're going to just keep running. And all you're going to get at the end are just tired. And then Jesus kind of lays it out and said, there's the one option. There's the choice of the world. You can do it if you want. Or, here's option two. You can follow me. What does that mean? Jesus turned, looked at his disciples, and he said, you must take up your cross, or you must give up your own will. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For every single person in this room, we know all too well our wants. Guys, I want things that you've never even heard of. I want a Stark Varg. You don't even know what that is. And I really want one. Maybe like two of you do. I know when I drive home from work, I know the house that I want, the property that I want. I know the size shop I would put on it. And then I know all the stuff I want to put in that shop. I know that when I'm sitting in traffic and I get frustrated, I don't even want someone to have the spot in front of me. You and I know our wants all too well. And Jesus goes, I get it. I know you want those things. But you've got to deny yourself. If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Those things cannot be the priorities of your life. Those cannot be what you live for. If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. And then you have to take up your cross. And oh, the clarity of that one. Your old way of life, the way everyone else does things, the way everyone else says is normal, you got to kill that. You have to die to that. And the last thing is, you got to follow me. What does that mean? That means that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to follow me, you got to follow me. If I serve, you got to serve. If I give my life for others, then you got to give your life for others. And Jesus goes, there you go. There's your options. But you know clearly what it means to follow me, and why this is so important is because your soul hangs in the balance. And child, there is way too many people that I see like God's looking at us going, there's way too many of you that accumulate all the stuff that the world has to offer only to find out it still wasn't enough. That you forfeited your soul. And I feel like God has given, or Jesus has given this message to the disciples going, I really want you to understand this. I can give you the desires of your heart because I created you and I know you, but you've got to do it my way. I can leave you fulfilled and satisfied, but you've got to do it my way. I know for me, I feel incredibly blessed because 
I grew up in a situation that most people didn't get to grow up in. Some of you guys know my story, some of you don't, but um, for me, my mom served special needs kids for decades and decades. My dad's been in ministry for, gosh, like 50 years. In the last, getting close to 30, has been walking into the worst situations. The ones that none of us want to be a part of. But walking into those situations to be with people, to care for people, to love on people in situations where everyone else goes, I want nothing to do with that. And I've had a front row seat to what happens in your life because of that. And you listen to this and you go, man, this sounds really hard. Make no mistake about it. It is incredibly difficult. The call Jesus puts on you was never an easy one. And he never said it would be. But is it worth it? Is it actually fulfilling? No questions asked. I would even say it's actually the only way we will ever get to fulfillment. And I've been able to live a front row seat to that life as I've gone into restaurants with my dad and I don't even know people around and all of a sudden the server comes up and they're like, hey, your bill is paid for because those people over there said there's nothing they could ever do to repay you enough. I'm like, who's that person? I've had people seek me out to tell me that my parents have changed their whole relationship, that the reason why they're still married is because of them, that the reason why their family is the way that it is is because of them. The reason why they're still alive is because of them. Was it easy? Of course not. Is it actually fulfilling? Do you get to have an impact? Is your life worth it? Do you serve a purpose? And do you actually get to do what Christ has called you to do? Absolutely. And that's the choice that we're left with today that's so incredible to us is Jesus is actually telling you, I can give you the desire. I can fulfill you. You don't have to forfeit your soul. But here's what it takes. I didn't come to get served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. And I know for a lot of you, you guys are sitting there going, that sounds like it's a long ways off. Or that sounds really hard. And you're right. But I think one of the most important things is we have to take the step to go, okay, so how do I get from just thinking about myself to thinking about others? I think the first step for us is we need to be more mindful of other people and what God is asking us to do in our life. So what I'm going to ask of you is this. The band's going to come out, and they're going to play a song, and they're going to close. And as they're closing out, and as the band is out here, what I want you to do is I want you to take time, and I want you to pray. And I want two things. Ask God, God, what is standing in the way of me living this life? What am I holding on to? What am I enslaved to? What is it that's not allowing me to live that way if you're not? And then the second thing that I want every single person to ask is just, God, would you please have the Holy Spirit lay someone on my heart that I need to become a servant to? Put someone in my mind who I need to take the position of servant and consider their needs greater than my mind and really make it a priority to serve them and to love them. And what I want you to do, 
I don't know if there's a sticky note in there. If there's not, then what I want you to do is this. Text yourself. Actually, don't text yourself. Put a reminder in your phone. And have that person's name pop up as a reminder in your phone every single day as a reminder to you of who you're called to serve. Because if we're going to follow, we have to follow. And Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, what you call us to is no question difficult. But Lord, I also believe it is the only way we will ever feel fulfilled. Lord, it's the only way our souls are going to be at peace. It's the only way we can look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I appreciate who that person is. Lord, it's the only way we're ever going to get to make the impact we want and have the influence that you've wired us to have. So, Lord, I would ask that you would help us reorient our priorities and our perspective to live in that way. Lord, that every single person in this room would actually come to understand what it means to have your soul fulfilled, to be deeply content. I love you, Lord. Amen.